so glad that you decided to join us today. And um, I, there was a, a funny thing. Some of you maybe read this book when you were kids, uh, Little House on the Prairie. I know it's fictional, but they, they mention a, a, an interesting bird called the chimney bird. Or the, have you guys ever heard of this bird before? A few of you maybe have. It's uh, called the chimney swift. And I had not heard about this bird, but I will tell you, if you come to visit my home today, there is a cap that is on top of my, fire, my chimney. And the reason why is that our friends in Southern California got some visits from the chimney swift. They were having dinner at a neighbor's house just a few streets down, and they uh, decided to come back to their home to pick something up. And when they walked into their house on the walls, they saw these unusual like lines that were on the walls, and they heard birds all over the place. Their house had been infested with chimney sweets, these little birds. And in fact, there were so many of them that, that they tried to open the windows to get them out. They'd throw them out, and guess what they do? They come right back into the house. They, they'd had them in their drawers. They found feathers in, in places for weeks after the fact. They had to paint everything. It was a hot mess. Can you imagine that? Now, now, like I said, on my house, there's a cover on the top because we don't want to mess with those things. And this morning, as we turn our hearts to God's word, I want to encourage you that the Apostle Paul is going to challenge us about places that we don't want to go to. He's going to remind us that there is a destroyer. In John 10, 10, we quote this often here at Hope. There's, a, there's one that wants to steal, to kill, and to devour. And in the text, what we're going to see today is that he's going to challenge us to recognize that, that for some of us, we're allowing into our lives the very things that have the potential of causing great damage and harm in our lives. In fact, the challenge that he's going to give us is one of loving kindness that he's going to say to us, you don't have to go there. You don't have to open yourself up. In other words, he's going to challenge us to to flee away from the things that might potentially destroy us. You know what's great about that John 10, 10 passage? You know I quote it all the time. The deceiver has come to steal, to kill, and to devour. But the Lord that we worship, that we just sang to a few minutes ago, has said that he has come that we might have life, that we might experience life to the fullest. And so as we study God's word together today, we're going to recognize that there is one that would come to destroy our lives. In fact, there's kind of a process that we can follow. It, said in the, it says in the text, some were destroyed by the destroyer. And I want to challenge you this morning to not be one of those that is destroyed by the destroyer. There's a simple three-step time-tested process that we can go through to see ourselves destroyed. One of those is to ignore God. One of them is to go our own way and the other is to get lost. And today, as we study God's word together, I'm going to challenge you to consider in your life the results of people that have surrounded you that have found themselves with their lives being destroyed. Maybe it's a loved one. It's a family member. Maybe it's one of your children. But we, we look at, at our stories, and for some of us, we've experienced the pain of watching this happen in their lives. Somebody said it like this, we're all one decision away from stupid, right? Have you ever heard that before? We're all one step away from potentially doing away with or causing harm to the things that are most precious to us. And I, the way I look at it, when I study the lives of people like Samson in the Bible, or Judas, these individuals like Cain, that, 
that had something that they wanted. They wanted something more. I call these in my life toothpaste moments. You guys know how toothpaste works. I hope you use some today, right? These are toothpaste moments because you know how it works with toothpaste. It's easy to get it out. But if I asked you to put squeezed out toothpaste back in the container, it wouldn't work out too well for you, right? The, the God that you and I serve can forgive us. In fact, today, this whole message is saturated with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's message is a message of grace. He's saying, I want to care for you to avoid. But, but, but I want to remind you that when we make decisions, when we allow ourselves to be exposed, when we choose things that, that push against what God desires of us, it's really important for us to realize that there's consequences for us. He's going to give us three tangible examples of what it looks like in our lives when we get this wrong and in order to inspire us to get this right. The first example that we're going to see in the text is, is picking up from last week when the Apostle Paul was kind of talking about these Olympic-type games that were happening there in Corinth. And he talks about running to win the prize, to compete in order to receive the victor's crown. In Christ's language, it's, well done, good and faithful servant. And the disqualified language, you and I know what it's like to see athletes who are disqualified, right? We recognize that there's the Tanya Hardings of the world or the Lance Armstrongs of the world that we watch their story, the entire Russian Olympic team, right? Like we, we watch the stories and, and we, we realize that there's ways that people get out of their lane. They move into a place where they attempt to steal, to, to win by all means. And at the end of the day, what Paul is going to call that is he's going to call that being disqualified. So illustration number one is that. The second illustration that he's going to use is, in, is, is really meaningful to me. He, he's going to talk about God's provision for the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings, the time when they were led by a cloud of, of fire and a, and a cloud of smoke that during their, is, is their wanderings in the, in the desert as they left Egypt, that there were these, these times when God provided for them miraculously. Can you imagine the fact that they sat at the table of meals that were prepared by the God of the universe? How cool is that? That he made the manna that he gave them as a meal and a gift to them. And literally, it fell from the sky. It was, it was awesome. And, and you know what they did? They, they tried to find Tupperware container. You guys know who you are, right? They, they tried, they tried to, to save this stuff. And then, and then later on, over time, they got frustrated because they said they want something else. They, they, they didn't like what God had given. He'd offered them not just water, but living water. And yet they say, I want something more. So the first illustration teaches us that there's rule breakers that ultimately miss out on the podium. Then there's another set of individuals that say, I, I just really want to do it my way. I, I want to have it my way. I want, I want it according to my terms. And at the end of the time, what they miss out is the abundant provision and blessing of a father that knows how to give good gifts. The third illustration that he's going to use applies to us in a beautiful way. He's going to talk about the kind of worship that happens when we do the act of communion. And what he's going to say to us is our bodies are not separate from worship. What we consume is not separate from worship. And here they're going to talk about idolatry and meat sacrificed to idols again. And they're going to, but, but he wants us to recognize in the text that, that he's saying how you live your life 
it's all meshed together. It's all blended together. It's not, it's not that we get to put these big walls to separate. When is my spiritual time? And when is my, my, like it's all one thing. And so when he says, when we take the Lord's table, we're eating something that really is an act of worship to the Lord. And he's saying, when you eat and worship and use your bodies and experience the gift that God's given you, that his desire for us is to experience the blessing that he wants for us. But for some, they're going to find themselves choosing to take matters into their own hands. They're going to take the three steps that are allowing them to cause great havoc and pain and carnage in their life. Will you think in your own life of someone who you love? Maybe it was a parent, a grandparent. I can think of a grandfather. Like I told you, I don't know that much about my last name because I had a grandfather who I believe God had called on one side of my family to be a pastor and to an amazing story of redemption. He helped to build the Empire State Building. He was an electrician. And then he, he ended up through a pattern of addiction, ended up becoming kind of the town drunk in, our, in the town of Ottawa, Ohio. And, and, and when, when people ask us like, hey, tell me about your last name. Tell me about Brennan. You know, we assume that there's Irish in there somewhere, but... But grand, grandpa drank himself to death in such a way that I don't even know that story. Like, I don't, I don't know him. I didn't know what he, his life, because of some of the things that we're going to talk about today, that the deceiver, he gave place in his life for something that ultimately led to destruction. The great news about this passage is that it doesn't say all were destroyed. It says some were destroyed. And I think that's why he's going to challenge us with these Three illustrations that encourage us. And, and I, I want to encourage you to consider as you're taking notes this morning that, that the deceiver, the one that's going to, he's going to call this demonic powers, the demonic influence, the powers and principalities of darkness. Let me just challenge you this morning that he knows what attracts you like the mouse to the mouse trap. He knows you perfectly. He understands what are the things that draw you away from worshiping the God that you deserve. He understands what is appealing to us and attractive to us. I heard Kevin Stefanski yesterday in an interview talking about, you guys know who he is. I'm sorry. I know not all of you are Browns fans, but, um, but uh, Coach Stefanski yesterday said something that was interesting to me. He said, in this, in this extended week that we have off, we're going to do some serious self-scouting. And I think that's an interesting term. When I played football, uh, we would get a scouting, even just in high school, we would get a scouting report for often the people we were going to be competing up against, their tendencies, what they, they did, how, how to exploit what their weaknesses are. And his statement was, we need to be people in their context that knows our own weaknesses so that others cannot exploit them. And, and I want to challenge you spiritually, as Paul challenges us, he wants us to get personal. He wants us to consider what are those things that are potentially on the line. He wants us to consider what are the consequences of disobedience in our life. And I think that the deceiver, the destroyer, the one that wants to destroy you, that's the last thing that he wants you to do, is to consider what it is that you are tempted by what it is that serves as the cheese on the mouse trap that draws you in. In fact, it is helpful to remember his antidote to that. He shared with us at the end of the sermon last week as we studied chapter 9. And 
Uh, it's not on the screen, but I just wanted you to hear this again. He responded to the temptation to be an athlete that misses the podium with this. He says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be dis disqualified. So Paul's first illustration as to how we can misunderstand what God desires for us, how we can take a step towards destroying our life. His first illustration is the disqualified athlete that misses the podium. I think the way that we, um, we learn from this passage this morning is that is that we, we need to be people who are self-aware of our tendencies, that we're self-aware of what are the areas of weakness, what are our decisions that we make that have the potential of being one of those things that would put us in that one decision away from stupid. In a seminary class, one of my fellow students, it was in my senior year, they asked us to add up how many hours we'd spent while we were in school and in working on our degrees. And then they asked us to do the math to figure out how much money had been spent on getting your degree. And then at the end, uh, using this passage of scripture, he said, it's possible for you to waste all of that in a second as a leader in the church, because you can just through one stupid decision, you can discard what's precious. You know what I've watched in my life is I've watched people who loved their families discard their families for something cheap. I've watched people who can't consider their marriages valuable, that they've seen them discarded. With, you know what's amazing? I've experienced this in hospital rooms where I've walked in where there were family members who lost someone in a car accident that was devastating. And then we'd find out over time that even though they were family members, they hadn't spoken for five years. And so, so here they, they say that this is precious and valuable, and yet they've discarded or lost what was precious to them. So in chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, For I do not want you to be unaware. I, I want to love you enough to, to point this out for you, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ Jesus, or was Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating section of scripture. What he's saying here is that he's saying, I want you to understand that, that there were a group of people in our heritage. These are non-Jews that he's speaking to. These are Gentiles that were in Corinth. These are Christ followers in Corinth. But he's saying that their story, the, the wanderings in Egypt or out of Egypt heading to the promised land is a part of our story. We can learn from their history. We need to be aware of the mistakes of others. And, and their mistake was that they experienced and tasted the handiwork of God. Here he describes the manna um, he describes the leadership of God through the cloud. He describes the, the way that God moved with them. And this is so cool. I love the way Paul words this, that, that he talks about the water that they drank on that journey. We know that God provided them what they needed for life in the wilderness. And that was partially the manna from heaven, 
But we also know that through, through God's abundant provision, they had water to drink. And we have this image of a rock that's struck and that it's providing. And we know the story. Some of you know this. But, but what Paul connects this to is the intimacy of the woman at the well, where she is standing back and she's, she's trying to, to, to hide from the things that are happening around her. She's, she's privately trying to get her physical water. And the Lord Jesus encounters her. Remember what he offers her? He offers her living water. And here, what, what Paul was saying was God provided all of their needs in the desert. And yet they longed for and they wanted something more. This confusion that surrounds this idea of being baptized into Moses, it's important that this, this is unconnected to your baptism that you do when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is connection to spiritually the journey that they went through together, through the Red Sea, through the journeys that they went on together. And here they see, Paul, Paul's emphasizing here that Jesus was their provider, their good shepherd, their leader. And in the tr Trinitarian understanding of the God of the universe, he stands back in awe of God's provision and his goodness. This leads me to what I see as the first of the three ways that a person can find themselves destroying their own lives. And I think this one is so, such a temptation in our lives. It's just to ignore God. It's to ignore his provision. It's to long for something more. It's to lust for something that he's given us. Verse five says this. It says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He, he's saying your, your desire ought to be, to be satisfied with what God's provided for you. But that's hard for us, isn't it? I love my friend who's a pastor. He tells the story that his wife, um, or when he came home from work um, in California, there's, there's a dining table and, and there was a, an empty vase that was sitting on the dining table. Um, and, the, and it was one day it was there, next day still. The house is clean, everything, but there's just this kind of awkward, empty vase that's sitting on the dining table and it's two, three, four days. And finally, towards the end of the week, my friend asks his wife, hey, honey, why, why is there an empty vase on the table? And she says, well, well, honey, it'd be nice for you to provide me some flowers, you know, that'd be really nice. And, and so the next morning, she got out of bed, she came downstairs, eagerly looks at the table and there's an empty cake pan there. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> You know, you know that uh, you, you and I have a desire for something that we don't have all the time, actually. Let's, let's just be honest. Like we look at what we've been given and we say, I need something more. In my language, I'm going to say like we take matters in our own hands. We, we get frustrated with God's provision. We say, but I want more. And, and in reality, the heart of man, we can invent, according to Romans, evil things. This term that's described here as to not desire evil is fascinating. It's literally the word for rotten. Versions of this word are used to describe excrement. It's hard to, to read. So he's saying, you pursue what is destroyed, what can contaminate, what's broken, because you ignore the provision that God's given you. It says, it says this, like, like, like this word that's described here as evil is the same word that describes rotten wood. And if you know anything about wood, you know that it can look okay on the outside, but it's not, it's not strong. It's, it's a facade at times if it's rotten. 
So here he's saying to us that some longed for food that didn't satisfy. They longed for something more. They take matters into their own hands. Literally, it describes this as an appetite or a desire. So the first way I think that we find ourselves on a path of self-destruction is to ignore God. The second way is to go your own way and to lose some of these individuals decided that God was not the path for them, that there was going to be another way to live their lives. In verse 7, it says this, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is describing a moment in history when Moses was receiving the commandments of the Lord and God's people were still down, down and waiting and they're frustrated and the time wasn't on their schedule. So what did they decide to do? They collected gold and they made a golden calf so that they could worship and they and practiced these pagan rituals that were sexual, that were all kinds of stuff that was happening. It was this incredible moment in history. And so here, while they're waiting on God, they're disappointed in his provision for them. So they decide that they're going to go their own way, take their own path, take matters in their own hands. And it's described in the text in verse 7 as playing. Um, in verse 8, it's described as indulging. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Again, not all of them, but some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put God to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Uh, the image that I had on the screen earlier of that serpent is reminding us of a time period in history recorded in Numbers 21 where the Israelites were judged for their disobedience. They, God basically said, yeah, sure, fine, have it your way. And the result was devastation and destruction at the hands of serpents. Uh, it's fascinating to me that as he describes this, some pursue satisfaction by indulging in lesser gods, false gods, fake gods. Uh, let, let's not stick there. I mean, let's not ignore this for a second. I don't, I don't think this is just like I prayed in my statue of Buddha I think that, that it's been said that our hearts are idol factories. In other words, we, we have things that we look at in our life where we say, if I just had that, if I just experienced that, if I just obtained that, then my life would be full. Then I'd be satisfied. Then I wouldn't hunger anymore. But, but here, I think for some, they pursue satisfaction. Their appetites draw them to false gods, and then they indulge in them. It's a fascinating word. Some pursue satisfaction in their eating and their drinking. Here we see it in the text. Some pursue satisfaction in pleasure and through sexual immorality. Remember, sexual immorality is taking what God hasn't given you in his provision. Some pursue satisfaction by just downright disregarding God. I'm just going to ignore you. I'm going to mute you. I don't have any interest in hearing what you have to say to me. This last one is very convicting to me where it talks about grumbling as well and some evidence this pursuit by their grumbling. I think that for some of us, we could go through this list and we could say, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. That's, that's not a temptation for me. But I think that the grumbling part is evidence of the fact that we're not finding ourselves appropriately satisfied in what God's given us. We grumble naturally, don't we? Life doesn't seem fair. We want to make sure that everybody knows it. Our circumstances are difficult. 
And yet in Israel, what happened at that time in history was that it was evidence of the fact that they had not placed their faith in the God that loved them and had provided for them. It says in verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Remember, why are we talking about this? Because God loves you enough to tell you how to protect yourself from this kind of destruction. It's not an act of vengeance. He's actually just saying, I want to care for you. Put, put, the, put the cap on the fireplace, you know? Put the cap on the chimney. Be, be aware. Pay attention to your weaknesses. Know yourself. Verse 11. These things happened. Now, these things happened to them as an example. This is an example for you and I. We can learn from their mistakes. And they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. I love that Paul is aware that all of this that we're experiencing is not the rest of the story. There's, there's more to the story. God's working his plan out for his glory and goodness. Paul lived that way. He understood, we talked about this last week, he understood that there's a finish line ahead. We're, we're going to graduate someday. I love that fact. And then he says, now these things um, were an example written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come Verse 12, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. One of my favorite professors in seminary, his name was Howard Hendricks, and Prof uh, was very kind to me, and his wife spent time with Allie, and Prof was one of those pastors, shepherd guys who um, was, was a wonderful gift to those of us who learned from him. Some of you have read his books and been influenced by him in that way, but Prof was a guy who really challenged people like me to say, don't call yourself a teacher if no one's being taught. Don't call yourself a leader if you can't look back and see if people are following you. And one of the things that broke his heart over his decades of serving as a professor in a seminary is that he noticed that there were moral failures that were common. So remember, Paul started talking in this section about disqualified leaders that miss out on the blessing that God had provided for him. And he was so frustrated with moral failures that had happened in the church by leaders, the kind of people who would go to seminary to serve the Lord. And he did research. He called people. He interacted with them and tried to find, well, what is it that's the common strain? And it was shocking, actually. He wrote a book about this afterwards or some studies that he found out. And what was the most common attribute? Can you guess what it would be? The most common attribute of those people who who started off pursuing what seemed like a ministry career, that a calling, a, a, a gift from God to serve him in, in a mighty way. And it was that they believed that it could never happen to them. Isn't that interesting? So, so what they did was that they, they chose, like so many of us, to go right up to the line, but to say, oh, I can handle it. I had a, a wonderful friend this last week share with me in his own life, that he was just saying about his, his own walk with the Lord, that he had to have a conversation with his spouse about things that he couldn't handle watching on TV because it caused too much temptation for him. So for her, it wasn't a big deal. For him, he says, I can't, I can't watch this. Now, is that an awkward conversation? You betcha it is. But, but is he a weak person? No, of course not. Because he's aware of the fact, he knows his scouting report, he knows what he can and can't do. And I think for some of us, we love the line. We want to go right up to it and we want to navigate it as close as we can so that we, we maybe, and, and I think that there's an awareness to say, no, actually, anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed. Why? Pay attention to it. Know yourself. 
You are on the edge of failure and compromise. Put a cap on that chimney. You know, we have all kinds of phrases in our society that talk about this. It's just, it's just one more drink. It's, uh, I can look, but I can't touch. I, I think there's things that are like that that we say in our society that as Christ followers, they go against what God has called you and I to, what he's asked of us. The, there are some things that are best undone. There's some places that are best to be um, unvisited. There's things that are best to be unseen. There's tastes that, have, that are best to be untasted. And I think it's important for us to recognize that at times God's called us to flee, not to flirt. So, so do you know your appetites? Do you know what your temptations are? Do you understand what it means to rationalize and to guess that you can handle it? But instead, what you're choosing to do is to put yourself in a context that could cause great harm. Remember what we're saying is we're being honest with ourselves. That if we had a list of all of those things that are precious to us, remember that those are the things that are imbalanced by those one decision away from stupid kind of decisions in our life. Verse 13 is familiar. I, I think I've probably shared messages and teachings on this maybe a hundred times in my life. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. It's fun for me to put it back into the context of 1 Corinthians and to recognize the fact that Paul is exhorting these individuals to understand what it means to worship God appropriately. It says this in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not special in your temptation. That, that, that we all have our temptations. And I'll remind you that there's a huge difference between temptations, I like to use the word appetite, and sin. That there's a difference between the two. We have temptations. In fact, we know from the book of Hebrews chapter 4.15 that the Lord Jesus was tempted. It says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. That description is this, this leader in a high tower that has never experienced the challenges of life on, on this earth. Instead, we have one that is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are is, and yet is without sin. That's Jesus. That's his story. That he came and was tempted and yet was without sin. And what it says here in verse 13, it says, No temptation has entered into your life that is not common to man. Some of us, I think we, we look at our world around us and we see all of the challenges, all of the unique ways that we can compromise and sin. And we feel like this is unique to our generation. There's always been temptations. It says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when we talk about going your own way, we recognize that the opposite of that is following his way. It's recognizing that we are weak. It's recognizing that we don't go near that. It's recognizing that we put a cap on that proverbial chimney. And what we do, it leads us to the third point this morning, and that is we avoid getting lost in our lives. The, the, the prodigal son that we've talked about in this series, the prodigal church, the prodigal son ran from his father. He said, I wish you were dead. And in that process, he chose his own path. And at the end of the time, what we recognize is that his God, who loved him, his father knew that he was kind of, he knew that he was gone, but he hadn't stopped pursuing him. He hadn't stopped caring about him. He hadn't stopped loving him. But for some of us, we choose to abandon the love of the father and we find ourselves lost. Verse 15, I speak 
so as to sensible people. You guys look smart enough. You can understand this. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. And now he's talking about the Lord's table. It is not a participation in the blood, or is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? He's saying, isn't this an act of worship? How we drink and how we eat when we, we eat our little wafers and we drink our cup that we remember the Lord's death. We proclaim his death until he comes. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless is not is, not a, a, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? In other words, we are remembering what Christ had done. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And he's saying here, when we eat, when we consume those things, we remember at the hands of the good teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ, what it meant for him to die on our behalf. Why? Because there's one bread. We who are many are one body, for we are all partake of the one bread. It's a great statement of unity. We, we are a part of a local church that's a part of the universal church that God's designed to show loving kindness to a world around us that doesn't know it. He's saying, it is because of the blood of Christ that we connect together. So what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, no. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. In other words, I don't want you to open yourself up to demonic influence, the things that will destroy you, that want to creep in and devour, the, the cheese on the mousetrap that's designed to trap you. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. This is a great statement. You can't love both God and the world. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't walk the line, act like you're walking the line and, and always get that right. You're going to ultimately fall in. You're ultimately going to make a poor decision if you're trying to constantly walk that line. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of those things that would destroy you. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. I think it's important before we finish this last verse to recognize when he talks about giving a way out, when he talks about providing for you victory over sin in your life, that that promise is for Christ followers. That the promise that we are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness for his name's sake, that is a promise that the Lord gives to those who have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. To those who are not to those who have just surrounded themselves with religious things, to those who, who want to add Jesus to a list of other things that they think are about, there's no promise to them that they are no longer a slave to sin. And so part of what is so important about the gospel, when it talks about us going from death to life, remember the gospel is asking us to come as we are, but then not to stay as we are as we move forward. And so, so here, when he says, the Lord will not allow you um, to experience more than you can handle. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not a promise to you. That the imperative that this is spoken in is written to Christ followers. Now, this is what's so powerful about why we talk about the gospel so often is that we recognize that his desire is that no one would perish. His desire is that we all go from death to life. His desire is that we understand what it is that God wants to do in our life. So we stop drinking the thing that would lead us away, that would be worship of an unknown God, a false God, something that's lesser than God, and we enter into the worship of the one true God. That's how we avoid the path of destruction. 
That's how we understand. In verse 22, it says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In other words, the devil, he wants to destroy you. He wants to, uh, he really doesn't care how he destroys you. He's got an artillery. Uh, he's got an arsenal that he has desired to draw you away from worshiping the Lord. And what Paul is lovingly saying to this church that's precious to him, is he's saying, you guys, you guys don't want to, want to want to compete and miss out on the prize. You don't want to forget and neglect the gift of the meal that the Lord's prepared for you. You don't want to get lost and miss out on the direction that only he can give you. Think that it's essential for us to remember in order to seal off our lives from the things that can creep in and destroy us. It is to be people who are self-disciplined. That's Paul's language. In other words, don't go there. Recognize that there are places that you do not have the strength to be in, that they're too tempting. You think of the, the, the mom who's driving beside the, the, the gentleman's club off in the distance on the side, and her young daughter asks, Mom, what's a gentleman's club? And she says, Honey, there's no gentleman in there. There's, there's places that we as Christ followers don't go. Why? Because it's not... Uh, a place for us that, that God has called us to. We want to be self-disciplined. We want to be content. We don't want to constantly pursue more. How do I satisfy this appetite? And then we want to be people who follows his lead in our lives. And, and by the way, this passage reminds us, he's provided a pathway for you, that there's a way for you to understand obedience. It's not mysterious. It is a gift, a clear gift that he's given us to move forward. So, so I have a few application questions that I want to challenge you. And the first one, these are a little different than what's in your notes. I've been really wrestling with these. It says, how have I seen others destroyed by this? And how can I learn from their examples? Remember, that's what a, partially what Paul's doing here. Is he's saying the people of Israel, they, they had been blessed by God, but they chose to ignore in that context, the leadership of God and the provision for God. Can you think of stories in your life, whether they're your own or whether they're stories like I shared about my grandfather, there's others, a parent, a grandparent, where you've seen somebody who sold what was precious for something that was cheap. It's important for us to reflect on that and recognize that it was a path that they didn't have to go on. And we can learn from their example, their mistakes in that process. And then the next question is, where have I been going that I need to get away from? Where, where is it in my life? I want to add to that. Like, what have I been watching in my life? We, we're exposed to so much entertainment. We can choose our entertainment. We can choose what voices we listen to these days. What are you listening to? Is it, is it something that is uh, drawing you away from worshiping the Lord in your life? Remember, this is all about worship, by the way. All of this idolatry talk, he's saying, like, what do I value? What am I giving worth to in my life? And, and we say all of these things, sexuality or um, food, there's all, these, all these things can become false idols in our lives and they can be something that potentially distracts us from worshiping the God that deserves our best. So where have I, um, what, what have I been, where have I been going that I need to get away from? What have I been watching that I need to stop? And this last one is, is one that is an exercise that's been very, very helpful for me. So Howard Hendricks challenged us to do this. This was something I was challenged to in that, that class that I attended or the sermon that I listened to when they talked about adding up 
what you're investing in and what do you have the potential of losing if you choose to make that one decision away from stupid, stupid decision. And it's valuable for us to stand back and say, what would I lose if I choose to give into this? What would I lose if I choose to stay on a path that runs away from the Lord. For, for many of us, we look back and we see God's glory is stolen. We see our family that's precious to us, potentially lost in the process. What do I lose if I stay on this path? I, I think this morning, when I look at this, this, this passage, I'm just gently reminded by God's word that he knows us. He knows our tendencies. He wants us to be people who are drawn to him and to understand that the path that we're on is one that is dangerous, that it, it has ways that can destroy us. But, but in the middle of that, there's this promise that God says to each and every one of us, we need to hear it again today, that there's a pathway forward for you. You can navigate this journey. I'm here for you. I won't let it get too hard for you, the Lord says to us. But the cost of being on that path is the cost of obedience. It's the cost of being willing to pre-make decisions. It's the cost of not trying to go back and fix past mistakes, but to understand from them in such a way that we can keep moving forward. You do that, and I think you move beyond the deceiver that wants to steal, kill, and devour, and you find yourself experiencing the life that Jesus described for us, the one that he called an abundant life. I think that's possible for each and every one of us. And I want to encourage you that there are recognized places that we just don't need to go. Why? Because he's got a better path for us. Do you agree with me on that? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. I thank you that you know our needs more than we do, that you're a God of provision, a God of understanding. Lord, I thank you for Paul's intimate wisdom when he talks about even the thing that we do as a church, when we worship you through the Lord's table, that we recognize that even with our voices, with our mouths, we can choose to grumble or we can choose to be people who declare your goodness. Lord, that with our hearts, we can choose to, to love you or we can choose to be distracted by lesser things. With our hands, we can choose to serve you or we can choose to do evil things. With our feet, we can choose to lead into paths of righteousness. Why? For your name's sake, or we can walk into places that have the potential of destroying us. I pray for us that we would learn, as Paul exhorted us, we'd learn uh, to learn from other people's mistakes, that they don't have to be our own. I pray for each individual, some of which are joining us online uh, today, some of which that don't know you today. I know that there's people who haven't placed their faith and trust in you Yet, I pray that today would be the day that they recognize that they are sinners, that they are in need of a God who has the ability to break the chains of slavery in their life. Lord, that this is not just a message for those of us who know you, but it's a message for those of us who will know you to be able to say, I want to worship that God. I want to discard the other lesser things that are empty in my life. I pray today for that person uh, those people, that they would recognize that today's a really good day to make that decision. Today, we love you, Lord, as we close this service out and worship. I pray that we would do so in a manner that's honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.